Psalm 77. Psalm 77. Just open your Bible almost right in the middle and you'll be pretty close. If you've hit uh, Isaiah, you can back up a little. Proverbs, you can back up into Psalms. And we're going to look at Psalm 77. I'm going to do this morning what, uh, what pastors call a one-off. Uh, it's one that uh, sometimes, if we're lucky, we have them tucked away somewhere and we can just pull them out. I wasn't that lucky because what I wanted to talk about this morning, I didn't have an old message. Oh, so I had to read my Bible and I had to prepare. Oh, um, you know. Uh, anyway, um, we find ourselves in between Christmas and New Year's on, on the cusp of stepping into 2019. And so I want to talk a little bit about what that means. Uh, you'll notice that at the center of uh, the platform this morning, the stage this morning, is we have what we call communion or the Lord's Supper in some traditions, the Eucharist. Um, this is a, an ancient tradition of the church. And I want to talk a little bit about tradition this morning in light of the new year, in light of spending into, stepping into uh, unknown, uh, a time of reflecting. Uh, some of us are going to reflect about the fact that we still have a gym membership in our, in our bedside drawer. Um, we're going to reflect on maybe relationships that didn't work out the way we wanted or some that did, and we're going to celebrate that and we're going to lament some others. Um, and, and in the middle of all that, the invitation of Christianity, the invitation of faith is to find an anchor is to look back and to have anchors and building blocks to build on so we're not just living out our lives in regrets and, and, and accomplishments, but that there's something more going on underneath it all. So I'm going to read Psalm 77, and I'm going to invite you to stand, and we do this out of respect for God's Word. These are the most important words you're going to hear. Now, I'm going to actually be reading from the New Living Translation, so whatever you're using, for some of you, that's as easy as a button to hit New Living Translation on your phone. It, it doesn't work on the Bible, although some of us are, are, are the actual paper Bible anymore. Well, some of us are still trying that now. How come it doesn't work? Um, but I am going to have the, the text behind me here in the New Living Translation, so let me read that to you. It says, I cry out to God. Yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I love the honesty of the Psalms. No one can read through the Psalms and go, nah, I don't agree. There's always something in the Psalms where our soul goes, yeah, I've, I've been there. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. Now, some of your texts will say Selah. That means an interlude. So if this was worship in, in the ancient Hebrew, someone's going to, you know, on, the, on the, the harp or the four-stringed lyre. They're going to put their foot on the monitor and go at it, okay? Because the Psalms were, the, were the, the, the hymn books of the Old Testament. You don't let me sleep. I am too distressed even to, to pray. Have we, all, have we all been there? I think of the good old days long since ended. When my nights were filled with joyful songs, I searched my soul and I ponder the difference now. Many of us are going to be doing that tomorrow night and on New Year's Day we're going to think back. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? Now a quieter, Selah. Okay, it's a little sadder. And I said, this is my fate. Uh, I, I'm just an, an accumulation of all my mistakes and, and all this failure and, and feeling alone. The Most High has turned his hand against me. 
But, this is the turning of the psalm. But then I recall all you've done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. And that's the turn for the psalmist. Then he says, oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeem your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Okay. When the, Red sea, when the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quake, this is, this is reflecting back to when God miraculously brought the children of Israel, the Hebrew nation, out of slavery in Egypt. If you haven't read it in the Bible, you've seen the Prince of Egypt, all right? The clouds poured down rain, the thunder rumbled in the sky, your arrows of lightning flashed, your thunder roared from the whirlwind, the lightning lit up the world, the earth trembled and shook, the road led through the sea... Your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. I love the poetry there. It's, it was hidden under the water, but it was always there. You led your people along that road like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron, the leaders of Israel at the time, as their shepherds. God of grace, I pray you would speak to us through this text and through your word this morning. And however we come here this morning, God of grace, God of peace, God of counsel, speak into our hearts and minds and open our eyes to the beautiful story that you want to invite us into. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take a seat. Now, I'm happy to see you guys here. This is kind of the remnant, right? That between Christmas and New Year's, it's like, well, I'm doing, I did Christmas. I put in an extra so I probably don't have to come to the next Sunday. That's usually what this Sunday is. But there's a good group of you guys out today, so it's good, good to see you. We have just kind of come through the most tradition-laden time of the year. right? We all have things about Christmas that we're like, that has to be there, or, or it just wasn't Christmas. right? There's a, certain, there's a certain kind of food that needs to be on the table. There's uh, certain things that need to happen in order for us to say that Christmas truly happens. Some people open their gifts on Christmas Eve. Some say, no, you don't do it on Christmas Eve, you do it on Christmas. And if you open on Christmas Eve, there's something wrong with you. And if you, if you only do it on Christmas, then there's something wrong with you. And we, we have those, those discussions. Now, do any of you have any, any Christmas traditions that you just feel like it has to be there? This isn't rhetorical. I'm inviting it. Do any of you have any traditions you'd share that... that that, that you feel it has to be there, or it's just not, it's just not Christmas. Turkey. Turkey. Yes. Of course. Chocolate amaretto pie. Oh. I want in on that tradition. <laughs> Who was that? Who said that? Oh, hey, buddy. Thanks, Dan. You're invited. Okay, Shanna, you, well, then you don't have to bring Dan. You can come over to our place next year. Or does he have to carry the pie? Okay, that's fine. It takes two. All right. I like that one. Anyone else? Gravy and mashed potatoes. Gravy and mashed potatoes. Homemade shortbread. Homemade shortbread. Oh, I like that one. Roger Whitaker. Oh, okay. <laughs> Roger Whitaker. Thanks, Cam. Right on. Cool. And most of us, we can tie those back to memories and nostalgia, right? Where they came from, and they build something up in us. Uh, sometimes uh, great joy, but sometimes we even connect ourselves to even things that hurt in the past. And we want those things a part of what we're doing. Um, now, some of you, if you're from different parts of the world, or you've, uh, you've traveled around, or have family from different backgrounds, you may be familiar. So I, I came across some very interesting traditions in, in, uh, in, in some different backgrounds. Uh, one is the Christmas pickle. <laughs> 
Now, some of you maybe are familiar with the Christmas pickle. Some people say it's a German heritage, but some people debate whether that. And the idea of that, the Christmas pickle is that it's the last ornament put on the tree, and it's put somewhere where it's very difficult to find, and then the kids are invited to find the Christmas pickle. And, you know, like in the nativity story, the Christmas pickle. And, you, know, you know the one. <laughs> and they, they, they tuck it in, in, in a place that's difficult to find. And it's green, of course, so it's a little more difficult to find. And the kid who finds it gets, gets a prize. Now, the next one I actually don't have a picture of, so you can just leave it on this one, was uh, Krampus. Now, some of you are familiar with Krampus. There's even a horror movie now on Netflix uh, called Krampus. Some of you are like, oh, it's a Christmas movie. Ah! Don't, uh, I know some of you so, who've done that. Uh, Krampus is like, it, it's an Austrian um, tradition or background. And Krampus is like... Um, Santa's evil demonic brother. So think of, I, 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 it's so bad actually, I couldn't find an image that I felt comfortable showing in church. So just think of an orc, the ugliest orc you can think of from Lord of the Rings and then throw horns on him. And don't, don't some of you are on Google right now, do, do it later, do it later. And basically, so beginning at the beginning of December, uh, kids are threatened by their parents that if they're not good, Krampus, this demonic character, is going to grab them by the feet, pick them up and start hitting them with a stick. Some things we just maybe should introduce. I don't know. Uh, the roller skating uh, of, of Caracas. Do we have this? In Venezuela, in Caracas, Venezuela, they actually have to clear the streets because it's become a tradition to roller skate to mass. So they, uh, the streets are filled with, with roller skaters. Uh, in Japan, since the 70s, it has been a tradition to go eat KFC. Why not make it a Kentucky Christmas was the theme, I think, in 74. It is almost impossible to get a table at KFC in Japan on Christmas Day. One of my favorites <laughs> oh, is El Cagatillo, which is the pooping log of Spain. Yeah, what? <laughs> now, <laughs> um, now it, this is called El, El, El Cagatillo, which... Uh, Kaga, okay, but Tio is uncle, verdad? Right? Tio is uncle. Am I correct? So I don't know. So may, I guess if you're going to have someone pooping in your living room, making it sound like a family member maybe is a little bit better. I don't know. That's just the uncle. Anyway, so how it works is at the beginning of December, you buy this hollowed out log, you put a face on it, you stuff it full of candy throughout December, and then on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, you put it in the fireplace and you start whacking it with a stick until the candy comes out. And then the last thing that comes out is something that was stuffed in there first, either like a, a pickled fish or an onion or a piece of garlic that's been in there for the month. And if that's not enough, there's a wonderful song that goes along with it. I quote, Pooping log, poop candy, hazelnuts and cottage cheese. Never thought you'd hear the word poop so often in, in one sermon. If you don't poop well, I'll hit you with a stick. Poop log. Isn't that beautiful? I actually, I asked Daniel if they could lead, like, lead that song today, but they're like, oh, it's not very spiritual. I, I don't know about you, but I think that's a tradition I could get behind. But we didn't even have a drummer this morning. In our house, there's a, we have a very specific tradition that, we, that started with my wife and I the first year of our marriage, and it was not any of those things, uh, maybe closest to the Christmas pickle. Um, we, um, every year, we buy ornaments for each other, ornaments that represent the year. And, and so as we look back now, over 22, 21 Christmases together, as a, as a married couple, 
Each one symbolizes the heights and the lows and accomplishments, world, things that happened historically. So here's a, get, get rid of the pooping look. Um, so that says Iron Man on it. That was at a time where I was getting fit. I was, I was trying out for the police department. So as we open these, we, we show them to our kids and we remind them of their heritage and kind of the, our story and their story. What's the next one we have there, Graham? Oh, we can't see it. Now, this is the one my wife made this year of Town Center, which is awesome. They're not as bright as, as they, they look on my camera. I apologize. Uh, it looked, it's not actually just a dark. But now, here we go. So this is an ultrasound of Cadence of my 15-year-old son. And to the left is actually Lelania and I um, in Europe, the previous, the previous part of that year as well. So we look back at these, we show them to our kids and say, this is a part of your heritage. This is, this is a part of our, our life together. Uh, this is just, ah, sorry, this is just uh, an image of, all, of, of a pile of gifts uh, with our names on them, with just all our family names on them. This is from, from 9-11. This is my wife created this as a memory of that year. So each year we, we remember a bit of that even as we are decorating our tree. Some highs and lows, not only of our family, but also of what went on in the world. Sprinkled throughout all our ornaments are a handful of crosses. A handful of crosses that remind us in everything that's gone on, we have an anchor. And throughout battles that we've had, some with each other and some that we fought together in our lives, the cross is always kind of speckled throughout all our ornaments to remind us that Christ has been present and has been the, the foundation and the anchor and the mooring which we have used to continue on. Go to the last one here. This is called the Mosaic Cross. This is one, this had to be, yeah, this has to be well over 15 years, I think, that my wife gave it to me. And this, this cross really represents the fact that although there's brokenness in our lives, that we are both imperfect people, we we, we, we have imperfect kids, believe it or not, um, that God is using the pieces of our lives as broken pieces of glass and, and sharded, sharp edges that have hurt as we've experienced them. He is piecing them together and bringing them together in himself and making a, a perfect whole. That is a tradition that has been so important to us each year for ourselves, for our kids, to see how God has walked with us and to see how Christ, how the cross has been a part of our lives throughout, a reminder of that even in the brokenness, Christ is at work. It helps us remember where we've come from, where we're at, and where we're going. Where we came from, where we're at, and where we're going. And I think that's what good tradition does. Good tradition tells us where we've been, where we are, and where we are going. And because of that, it can bring us hope, even when we're in a tough situation. Without good tradition, we look back and we see brokenness and failure and regret and no larger frame to, to put these things in. It can just be a sad story after sad story after sad story. Or we look back and we see even some accomplishments and we try to build our lives on those things, but the, the happiness and the joy and fulfillment only lasts as long as we are accomplishing. In The Sacred Journey, Frederick Buechner wrote these words. He said, It's mainly for some clue to where I'm going that I search through where I have been. For some hint as who I, whom I am becoming or failing to become that I delve into what used to be. That's why God is so concerned 
with establishing in his people moorings and anchors in our lives to frame our existence. And, and this is nothing new. Through, throughout the Old Testament, throughout, throughout the lives of, of the Hebrew nation, as we read them in the Hebrew scriptures, God believed in celebrating stuff. He believed in, in celebrating past events in order to give you hope for the future and to give you hope for the present. So we think of things like Passover, the Passover meal that God told his people to eat every year, which, was, which God established and was to remind them of the night that God delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He said, I want you to remember this. So over and over and over, remember the, the battle that God won for you. And anyone here who calls himself a Christian, no matter what you've walked through, if you call yourself a Christ follower, you can say there was, there was delivery. There was a way I was and there's a way I am. There's a future I once had and now there's a future, a new future that I have. God says, eat Passover every year. And as you eat it, you remind your children of what God has done. That's tradition. That's sacrament. In Exodus 12, 14, it says this. It says, this day shall be for you a memorial Day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Don't forget what God has done for you. Even in the midst of your difficulty, do not forget what God has done for you. Forty years after that event, God has, is leading under a different leader. Joshua is leading the people of, of, of Israel across the Jordan into the land that he's promised them. And they have no way to cross. So God says, take the Ark of the Covenant where, where they kept the Ten Commandments and a few other things and walk into the river and the, the waters will stop. And that exact thing happens. The priests walk in with the Ark of the Covenant. The waters stop. And while the waters are stopped, God says, now take 12 stones out of the midst of the river and put them on the shore and build them up as a monument so that every time you come here, you will remember what God has done. In Joshua 4, 6 and 7, it says this. This may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come. Notice the, the, the children always being brought into this to, to be reminded. What do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. At one point in Israel's history, God had saved them in battle from their arch enemies, the, the Philistines. They were always coming up against them as they, they came into the promised land. And, and they won this great battle. And, and Samuel the prophet set up this stone called an Ebenezer. Now I raise my Ebenezer. Now that's where it came from. Okay? 1 Samuel 7, 12. It says, then Samuel took a stone. He set it up between Mizpah and Shen. You know Mizpah and Shen. We've all spent some time there. And he called its name Ebenezer, which means stone of deliverance. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. Not till now as in God's about to stop. But remember, all the way up until now, God has always been helping us. Not to mention the days and the feasts that God appointed to the people of Israel. In Leviticus 20, 23, he, he, he gives them all these different feasts and celebrations they ought to remember. And you can just start popping them up there, Graham. Sabbath, Passover, which we've already talked about, Feast of First Fruits, Feast of Weeks, Feast of Trumpets, Feast, the Day of Atonement, Feast of Booths or Feast of, of Tabernacles. Now, 
most of us probably know what Sabbath is. Every week, just stop what you're doing. Just put everything down and reflect on the goodness of God. Passover, remember God's deliverance. That was not about your power, but just God's grace. Feast of first fruits, for us to remember that everything we have is a gift from God. So reflect on that and give some back. Feast of weeks was really um, about, uh, we, we read about this in Ruth, where when you're, when you're collecting from your, your, your orchard or your farm or, or doing harvest, always leave a little bit. Always remember to leave something for the poor that they can come by and glean and take something from the, for, themsel- for themselves. And it's always a reminder that you were once poor, but God delivered you, so you give to the poor. Feast of Trumpets was really just a preparing for the Day of Atonement which was God reminding us that, yes, although we are sinful, he has prepared a way for sins to be forgiven by his grace and by his mercy. And we see that ultimately shown in the cross. And then finally, the Feast of Booths, which if any of you live next to Orthodox Jews, you'll notice that around October, often they'll build a hut in the back and they'll sometimes even eat meals in it and play games in it. That is part of Feast of Booths or Sukkot, which is remembering the 40 years in the desert remembering that God brought them through, as Joshua said, and Samuel said, he has brought them through and has continued to walk with them. So all of this, every time you read, if you read through Leviticus 23 and God lays out all these things, in every single one of them, he says, don't work. Stop, I mean, what a God. Just stop working, thank you. Are we listening to that? Now, why does God, every time he says, hey, have a feast, have a celebration, Why does he have to say, stop working? Because he knows the hearts of men. Put your stuff down. If you're wondering why God says, stop working, it's the same reason we have a hard time getting our kids off that rectangular God of light, right? Just put it down. Huh? I've said your name three times. Huh? That's why, this is before Wi-Fi. Imagine how much more we need to listen to this during our feast of celebration. During how many people at the Christmas table were, yeah, 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 it's good turkey, yeah. Let me take a good picture of the turkey. Show my friends. Put it down. God says you need to stop. There's a time to, to stop what you're doing and be silent. So we need to remember, but we need to remember the right things and we need to remember the right way. It's important for you and I, as we navigate through this life, as married people, as single people, as working people, as people without jobs, as people struggling with addiction, as people who think they got it all together, it is important that we remember our past the correct way and we remember the right things. Unanchored reflection... Unanchored reflection can bring regret and a sense of being just adrift in our lives. We have to look back with anchors and moorings and a framework. That's what Paul is warning about in in Philippians 3, 8 to 16. He says this, he says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, things I've accomplished and things that I've messed up. I count it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. What a a burden lifter. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. 
I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. He says this, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. He's not saying that if I work hard enough, I'm going to, to be perfect. He's saying that I'm going to continue to mature and mature and mature. Perfection used here does not mean you've got it all together. It means a reliance on a continuing pursuit of maturity. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting what I've messed up or what I've accomplished in the past, I'm going to look ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ, is calling us. I'll leave it, I'll leave it at that, Graham. We, we do not do well when our focus is, is on our history. We do well when our focus is on his history and his work in our lives, like the psalmist in Psalm 77. He does well when he starts forgetting about how lost he feels and start remembering what he knows to be true about the God that he's calling out for. I was reading this this week about, about running. It says, when a runner looks backwards, it's typically because they're afraid someone is catching up with them. They're no longer running to win, they're running to avoid losing. When we look back at the ways that we've we failed at things, we, the things we didn't accomplish, uh, memories that do not include God, do not include the cross, do not include Christ, we will find ourselves like the psalmist in 77.10 going, is, this is my fate. This is, this is all I've got to make sense of my life is my accomplishments and my disappointments. It's just me and, and my mistakes. That's, that's all I've got. What do you see when you look back? What do you, well, how do you frame your reflection on your life? At, at, tomorrow night or, or on the first, you're going to reflect on 2018. Some of you are going to be super happy. You're really excited about what God has done in your life and the gifts he's brought into your life. Some of you are going to look back and you're going to say, why did I do that? I wish I hadn't done that. I wish this relationship was still as it ought to be. Is there a cross in your story? It'll make all the difference in the world on how you reflect. Whether you think you're coming in high or whether you're coming in low, the gospel, the cross of Christ, evens out the playing field. Is, is there routine in your life that, that, that is giving you a framework for the, the way you revisit this last year? The, the whole past of your life? Because if your failures and your successes are the only way you're framing your life, you are not going to find clarity and you're not going to find purpose. It's important we know what a win is in our lives. And the win is not what we can accomplish. And a failure is not that we've failed. It's will we build our life on the foundation of Christ, his life, his death, and resurrection. And at the cross, he was willing to take all our failures and all our, success, all our successes and say, I will give you new life that is not based on what you can pull off. And I we, thank God we serve a, an all-knowing yet very forgetful God when it comes to forgiveness, right? When it comes to our failures. That's the God I want to serve. But I, it, it's good to know that you're living in victory, right? And if we base our life on the cross, if we are a Christ follower, and by faith it said, I, I, I submit my life to you, then we are living in victory. 
We didn't accomplish it, but it's freely given to us. One of the other traditions that's kind of started over the last couple of years in our house is that we've, we've started just really wanting to make sure that we're establishing family time a little more. And so we, we're buying board games every year. This year we bought the game Pandemic. Yeah. So Pandemic is basically, there, there's, just, there's just, just horrible stuff just exploding all over the world. And rather than playing against each other, you are a team. You're a team of medics and scientists. And you're going out and you're trying to stop a spread in Asia and in South America and in the U.S. and and North America. And you're all working together to eradicate these diseases. Well, we played it twice with, with our good friend Matthew there. We played it twice and we're like, this game's impossible. We're like, we ran out of cards. There's too many of these. We don't know our role, the roles that we're given to play out. They don't work. It wasn't until the third time we were playing that we realized that we had actually won both those games, but we didn't completely understand the rules of the game. So within 30 seconds, we went from regret and disappointment to going, this is fantastic. What a great game. Makes all the difference in the world. One of the things that Christian tradition does is it reminds us that the game, the battle, has already been won. And that the story that you are playing out, if you are a Christ follower, is being lived out in victory. And you can even look at your past mistakes and say, it doesn't matter, because I'm living in victory. I am not defined by that. Like Paul, I'm not defined by that. I'm defined by looking ahead at the hope of Jesus Christ. So I can look back, but I'm going to look back with clarity. I'm going to look back with joy because I'm not defined by any mistake I've made. What a great gift. What a great tradition. What a great thing to visit over and over and over again because you're not going to get that outside these walls. You're going to be told that your mistakes, man, you make a a mistake publicly and the world is going to know in 30 seconds and you are going to be shamed. That's not the message of the gospel. That's not the message of the cross. And anything you accomplish, and by the way, you're told that's how you create an identity and purpose and fullest humanity is by what you can pull off. Well, if you don't pull it off, where are you going to find that fullness? Where are you going to find identity? You will be chewed up and you will be spit out, but that's not how, how the gospel works. That's not how the kind of sacrament and tradition that we are called into works. It gives us a proper framework for our lives. Romans eight thirty seven. Paul says this, in all these things, all these things, whatever you bring into the table, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You don't have to walk through the game thinking this is impossible. You can walk through the game, just read the directions. Well, and you can know that you are already living in victory, a victory that was won for you, but is gifted to you freely. Traditions and remembrance in the Old Testament are important, and traditions and sacraments and routine in the New Testament is important as well because it reminds us of, of the work of Christ, the victory of the cross, that, and how that can play out in our lives. This morning, we are going to take communion together, and rather than just have it to the side, I wanted it to be centered here so that we can take it in throughout the service this is a tradition that we call a sacrament. A sacrament means it's, been, it's something set aside 
for great importance. And it's meant to establish in our hearts and minds over and over and over a revisit to the story, a reminder of the victory that is ours if we are Christ followers, or that can be yours if you submit your life to Jesus Christ. A reminder that the cross is intertwined with every chapter of our lives. The church does not practice baptism and and communion and covenantal marriage and obedient, abstinent singleness simply because for some rite of passage or some identifying mark of Christianity, we, we practice those things because they remind us of the bigger story we are in that gives real life and real purpose that is not just lived with our heads down, taking it in day by day, but our eyes are open to see the beautiful story that we're invited into. In 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26, again, the apostle says this, the apostle Paul, he says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So this is a sacrament, a tradition, a routine that was given by Jesus himself. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had taken, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You want to find some moorings for your life as you live out your Christian life in the craziness of this, of this world that we're living in? Practice communion. Revisit the story often. In fact, every time you meet together, Paul says. So what do you bring to this gathering, to this church this morning? As you, as you reflect on your year, as you review your year like ornaments on a tree and hold them up and go, yeah, I remember when that happened. I remember that part of my story. Are there crosses there? Are there crosses? Are there, or has there been reflection over and over and over that God is a part of the story, that, that you are one with Christ, and so his story is your story, his victory is your victory, his resurrection and new life, Scripture says, is your resurrection and new life? Or are you happy to throw the rules aside and just kind of wing it? As we come to the table together, the last thing we need is more mindless tradition. The last thing we need is mindless routine. So as we take communion, I'll explain how we're going to do it in a moment. Don't just rush to the table. Take a minute or two to reflect on 2018, to reflect where your heart is focused right now, where your mind has been invested, where your finances have been invested. Have you firmly established the cross in each of those places? Hey, if you're not a Christ follower, I'm not talking to you. But I would invite you to a much better story, a story of foundation and strength and fullest humanity. I'd love to talk to you after the service. But if you are a Christ follower, I'm calling on you to firmly establish Christ in all these areas of your life, in our homes, in our parenting, in our sexuality, in our finances, in our addiction. Are we, are we welcoming Jesus into our addictions? I got nowhere to go. I'm on my own if you do not come into this story. Are we inviting the cross into our time? How about Sabbath? 
That's a strong one in Scripture that we, we put somewhere down the list. Are you taking time to put everything down and stop and give God his due and say, I will rest this day? Maybe this is some of the, the biggest things you can do is commit to coming to church every week with your family and say, we are going to strongly establish the cross in our lives, in our family life, by making church community a part of our life. That'll drastically change the way your story moves along. Because you were not meant to live alone. You were meant to live out life in community. Like all good traditions, the tradition, the sacrament, the routine of communion tells us where we've been, where we are, and where we're going. It proclaims that you and I, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, are united with Christ, and therefore all the way that God looks at Christ is the way that God looks at us. Perfect, righteous, in right standing with him without sin. It reminds us that in the words of the New Testament, we, we are in Christ. Our hope, our lives are connected to him in faith. Not, it's not just pie in the sky when you die. It is here and now walking with Christ. And it also reminds us of the fact that we will, he will one day come again to rule and reign and make all that is wrong right and piece everything back together in a beautiful mosaic that we will all look at with awe at its beauty. And we know that that's what's coming because Paul ends that by saying, continue to eat until he comes again. So we're in the middle of this story. We're waiting for that final crossing of the Jordan when Christ comes again and we will be taken to the promised land. So we are going to take communion together. And what communion is, is as we take the bread, we were minded that Jesus gave up his body for us freely. It was not taken from him, Jesus said. I gave it up freely to pay the punishment of the sin of humanity. And we're going to take the cup, and how we do it here is we, we tear the bread off, and then we dip it in the cup, and we eat on the spot. We're reminded by the cup that, God, that, that Christ spilled his blood as a payment for our sin. And so we look back and we say that's vulgar, but we also look back with a smile on our face because it's the love of God and the grace that in light of what our sin looks like displayed on a cross, the love of God is that he would offer all, everything Christ purchased on that cross to you and I. And if you don't know what that means, and if you've never done that, I would l please do not leave here this morning without talking to me after the service. I'd love to talk to you about that. If you are not a Christ follower... Um, I would just say that as, as we take communion together, that you, just, you can just sit and reflect on maybe what I've talked about, what the, the worship band's going be, gonna to be going through, and I'll, I'll invite the worship band and the servers up now. Um, but I would say just let us do that for you. It would just be snacks. It would, just, it, would, it would be meaningless. But I would love to talk to you after the service, and, and it would be my hope. It would be our hope as, as this church, as this gathering, this community. It would be our hope that the next time uh, we take communion together in a few weeks. You would be able to come up and wholeheartedly say, yeah, I am in. That would, that's, what we, that's why we exist as a church. So I'm going to pray. The team is going to lead us in worship. And after some reflection, after some quieting of your heart, the band knows how to repeat choruses and all that kind of stuff. We got time. They're very skilled. But how we're going to do is we're going to start coming down this way. We don't need to rush. We don't need to get in line up so we can just make our way down here, come across. Um, at the table here, if you are gluten-free and all those free things, these are rice crackers. <laughs> so you can grab them and you can dip it in the cup over there. God of grace, thank you so much for what it means to be invited 
into this story. And God, some of us come here with such great brokenness. We, we can't imagine. We're so familiar uh, with, with the, the sentiment of the psalmist in Psalm 77. We feel like we're knocking on a door and, and you've locked it from the other side. We've lifted our hands up calling out for you and we can't hear you. So God of grace, it's my prayer that you would crack that door open that through your spirit you would delve into the lives of those who are earnestly seeking you this morning. God, when, the, when there's a gathering like this, there's going to, there are going to be people here who say, my life, it's too broken. It's too shattered up. It's too broken into pieces for it to be of any worth. And the beautiful story of the gospel is that you can take all those pieces and make them into a beautiful new picture framed by the beautiful story that you tell us and invite us into through the gospel. Thank you for that invitation. Thank you for a, an erasing of our past. Thank you for the hope of the future. And thank you that you invite us to be one with you now. So whatever needs to happen with us this morning, Jesus Christ, I pray you would counsel us through your spirit. If we need to repent of things, we want to repent of them. If we need to leave things from our past here this morning, we want to leave them here at the table. And if we need to give our lives to you wholeheartedly, then we want to do that this morning. Be with us as we worship, as we remember, as we take this sacrament together. In Jesus' name.